0: Welcome to the Society of Construction Law Australia podcast, the podcast where we look at technical and legal issues in the Australian construction industry. My name is Jacqueline Smith, and I'm one of the directors of the Society. In this episode, we continue the discussions started in our last episode with Dr. Sean Brady, Matthew Bell, and this time, Cara Vague, Group General Manager of Strategic Projects for Downer. In this episode, Sean, Matthew and Cara discuss construction project failures and the learning that takes place after this, the role of lawyers in these construction failures, in getting contracts right, and also looks at why Australia's distrust of authority can help avert disasters on sites. We'll cross now directly to Sean, Matthew and Cara starting this discussion.
1: Yeah, look, I, I think there's there's probably a few areas where where there is gaps, and you see it when you get to the the failure end of the scale, and you see it there when, particularly with this whole concept of risk and allocation of risk, and you know I do not know how many conferences I've sat through where lawyers have stood up and they have talked about success and failure in projects, not just in collapses, but in you know financial success and failure, and. There, there is the point that you know, we must you know, apportion the risk to those who can best manage the risk. And from what we see all the time is that you know, the same people who make those statements walk out of that conference and on Monday morning they draft clauses that apportion the risk to the people that uh, their client would most like them to apportion that risk to. Right. And certainly from all the, the the sort of failure investigations I do what what you see all the time is that once you push that risk to someone who cannot manage it they won't manage it um well they can't they can't manage it so so what we you know the minute and and it it's it's one of those cliches that is thrown around. And the problem is that the minute you apportion that risk to someone who can't manage it, you know, they can't manage it. But the people who can't manage it, because they've pushed the consequences of that onto someone else, they, they, don't, they don't care. And we we see in all these fears or all these human factors that once we believe something is pushed to one side and out of sight and out of mind or we've given it to some, someone else, we, we act like it simply doesn't exist. Mm. And w- that, that is one of my, my big bugbears, to, that when you do that, sure, you can maybe contractually protect yourself, but if you get a collapse on site and even if no one is killed or no one is injured everyone pays for that it doesn't matter where you've apportioned that risk it, it 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 will come back and bite you really really hard it'll bite you commercially and if someone gets killed or someone gets hurt it's going to bite you you know reputationally and morally and ethically pretty harshly you know i spend time around sites in which uh you know, things fall down and everyone everyone pays the price for that and the idea that you can manage that in a contract to me is 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 ludicrous. And I think that's where you have a disconnect with the law. That's where the lawyer walks away from the table and says, I have done my job. And you sort of say, fine, you've done your job, but there's a, there's a, a I suppose, a, be careful with the language you use, but it, it, there's, there's a, a lack of appreciation for how your job, even done perfectly, can have significant commercial decisions when it bumps into the other risks that we see out there
0: now that this is this is a phenomenon I think that has accelerated over the last twenty to thirty years, and in a way it uh, reflects the the rise of the construction lawyer and uh, people like like me and many of my colleagues have been drafting those contracts and have thought that we've dealt with these risks and and as you say uh, done the right thing and that can be signed and put in the bottom drawer or whatever else, and and away we go and and the project will take care of itself. As you say, Sean, even though in most cases that might be the case, through luck or good management or whatever else, in many cases it's not. And that bit of paper can't prevent issues like poor communication, poor behaviour, the sorts of delays that are almost inevitable, they're the sort of known unknowns that we're going to encounter, whether they're subcontractor delays, supplier delays and, and other things like that. So but I guess the question then is, you know, how, how can we walk back from uh, this this high, not just involvement, but also control of projects by lawyers? But if,
1: I, just before you even leave leave that, okay, you, you say, and quite rightly, that these contracts can't protect against those sorts of things. But, but I'm going one further, what happens if these Projects, these contracts play a role in facilitating bad behavior, right. natural, not even bad behavior, just natural human behavior that when we don't have to be accountable for something and our I suppose our boss tells us we don't have to be accountable for something, then we, we act in an unaccountable way. I've been on sites, and something is designed, and it's going to be placed into position, and someone will ask the question, "Are we sure about this? Are we happy about this?" And someone will say, "Well, hang on a moment." That's not our responsibility. That was designed by someone else, and if it falls down, that's someone else's problem. Right. And then someone will say, "Yeah, that's fine, except we're standing under it." But that siloing of what you're talking about is it is getting worse. Okay. And we're 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 driving it. So now back to your question, which I can't remember what it was now, which was something about how do we pull back from it?
0: Yeah. How how, how do we walk back from it? a situation where lawyers are driving some of these these types of outcomes, in other words can a greater balance be achieved between the need of course to deal with the relevant legal issues but also to allow construction professionals to get on with their job and take responsibility.
1: Okay. Again, how do we pull back? But I think we've got a problem right throughout the industry. It's not just with the law. There's, remember reading a, a thing about why do we have failures? How does, does this happen? And this is very much just from a construction professional's perspective. And they said, well, what happened was 100 years ago or 200 years ago, you had one person and you had everything that was needed to be known to manage and run this job inside that one person's head they were making all the decisions they could control budget they could control how things were done usually it was the technical engineer who was doing the same stuff so he, un- he or she understood the consequences of making changes on site all that then about you know well, i don't know the date but sort of 40 50 years ago we invented the profession of construction management and we decided that it was possible to separate the technical aspects of a job from the financial and commercial aspects of a job. Every industry, regardless of what it is, shows us the minute we put two people where the once was one, you've got a vulnerability because you've got an interface between the two of them and that's where we humans stuff up. And what we've done you know, over essentially the last 30 years is we've took all those, you know, that was one individual and we split them into project managers, commercial managers, technical engineers, design engineers, site engineers and we further siloed all of those people down to say this is your job and we don't, you don't do anything outside that job. So what you're saying happens with, with the law is happening with every single aspect of the job. So we have to try and pull back from that. And that's where we have things like independent checks from a technical perspective, which is this holistic look at a project rather than at the nuts and bolts level. And that's where you have to try and get back to if you're going to, to, to make it work. But we don't do that by continuing to specialise, specialise, specialise and pigeonhole people into into what they are. There's a wonderful line it was a con- contractor who, who said it to me, and I've heard a few contractors say it, that if you want to risk manage, it all comes down to the guy or girl in the hut on the site. And what they know and what they're willing to tolerate. That's that's how you risk manage on a site. Their knowledge, of what happens is, is critical. And if they're really good and really sharp, you'll catch problems before they happen. If they're not, and if they're pigeonholed in what they do, you, you're just begging for something to go wrong.
0: I recently watched the film of Sully, uh, of course. I haven't
1: watched that, but I want to watch yeah, it's, that. Yeah. It's, a,
0: it's a great film, but it's all about a pilot who ultimately made decisions which went against what the computer said yep. he should be doing, and landed a plane on the Hudson River in, in New York and, and saved everybody aboard. But it could have gone horribly wrong as well. And much of what that film is about is, did he do something which was defensible or did he do something which was right? Yes. And ultimately, because it's a good Hollywood film and we know what the ending is, he did the right thing and it turned out to be the right thing to do and also defensible. I guess I'm worried, Sean, as a member of the public who relies upon buildings all the time, about that situation you mentioned before where somebody is putting something in knowing that it's it's wrong. You know, it might be what the contract says, might be what the specification says, it might be what they can get away with, but they know that it's the wrong thing to do, but they're just not responsible for it. Mm. So are there ways, without burdening us to be a Brunel-style of, of person on-site 24 hours a day with these very complex projects we have, are there ways of reintroducing that level of personal responsibility to make sure things work.
1: And there is, but you have to go to other professions right. to to find it. Um, the best profession is probably the airline industry. Uh-huh. And it's all premised on the fact that if you find something wrong, yeah. it gets reported, it gets fed up the chain really really quickly and it gets acted upon to prevent something happens. And if you, you look at any, you know, transportation in, industry issues, particularly in the air air industry i was talking to a guy once from the australian transport safety board who investigated air crashes and they have a list that's out there that if if you're an airline provider or, or whatever they are, you call them they if they have one of the breakages that is is in this list you have to report it and it's the whole near miss theory concept that you know a problem spotted is a problem dealt with, and there's, there's a wonderful story about I was doing a presentation once and, and it was overseas, and a guy came up to me afterwards and he says there's a wonderful paper on why Qantas has never had a bad plane crash, and every other airline or most of the airlines have had a bad crash. Now I've never been able to find this paper, so whether it exists or not, I don't know. But it's a great story, and they they started to look in well, why did Qantas not have these problems? Had they better maintenance regimes? Did better inspection regimes? What and apparently, for to believe what this guy says, the reason why Qantas is so safety conscious is down to Aussie culture. It's down to the Aussie culture of calling something when it's wrong, regardless of what your boss thinks, and sticking with your guns. And that culture is what pushes problems before they become problems up the line so people can, can find them. The airline industry, I think they call it a just culture where you, by reporting these things, you don't, you, and they, they've tried to bring this into other industries as, as well, Department of Defence certainly talk about a just culture, where you don't penalise people for for raising issues. You you essentially you, you manage those issues and use them to head off the big issues. Now, when you talk to anyone in the construction industry, that's a very foreign concept of 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 working. But in the UK, from a structural engineering perspective, we have a thing called structural safety and it's confidential reporting of of issues. And what it what what it works really well is this is a, a committee of experts totally independent body and they see trends. They see the same sort of issues being reported to them and they grapple with those issues and then they put that make that public and they say to everyone you should be aware this is happening in the industry and you can you can jump on it. But that's only dealing with the technical thing. In a way we need to try and, and push that through all parts of the construction process. And it's it's hard and it costs money. That's why people don't want to do it.
0: Yeah, I I guess again as a as a member of the public using buildings, I would really love engineers to be able to share uh with each other across jobs and across the world problems that they see with their buildings uh in in the same way that you are talking about with the airline industry which we know you know yeah. immediately there'll be documentaries on it there'll be
1: it's a huge yeah. issue because you know you do a failure investigation and it usually settles and that gets locked up forever. The lessons, the technical lessons do could prevent a much worse failure or a similar failure, get locked down. And we get, we talk about this in engineering every now and again. Not enough. Um, I've heard some people say there should be a moratorium on the lessons that after three years or seven years they can be released to the public. So, but I mean, three years, seven years is just too long. I mean, if we had a plane crash and, and someone said it'll be three years' time before the results are out, there'd be public outcry. We'd right. say it was, we'd say it was terrible. There is a, a very Uh, an entertaining analogy though that if you look at medicine where they have problems from time to time you look at engineering where they have problems from time to time you look at aviation aviation is great at learning the lessons but that's Some people say that's because the pilot's on the plane. It's in their best interests personally to learn the lessons. Right. Whereas if the surgeon was on the table for every single operation they were performing, it might be a little bit different. And if the engineers had to live in every building they designed, it might be a little bit different. So there's that wonderful human nature that sort of creeps in there as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, we started this discussion talking about Fairly abstract issues around the law. We talked about regulations. We talked about uh, case law that's handed down by judges. We talked about contracts. Now, this this is this is our bread and butter when it comes to construction law, as we as we discussed earlier. But really, where we're ending up, Sean, is you're telling us that it's all about it's all about behaviours and trying to regulate those behaviours to get people to not just do the right thing, but sometimes to go against their better instincts to protect themselves to actually protect the public and those ultimate users of the building.
1: Oh, that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, we, we love to think because construction is a technical profession, things fall down because of technical mistakes right. and they do. There's no doubt about it that things fall down with technical mistakes, but that's not the issue. The issue is that for every technical problem, we as humans allow our systems and checks and balances to be bypassed in such a way that that can ultimately Cause a failure. Now that's why we don't get many failures, because most of the times those systems work well. The the really interesting question that you you have to throw back up to to you guys as lawyers is that the way you set up contracts and the way you design contracts to be administered, understanding and managing human behaviour is not a key I know what I expected to be because you're not a psychologist a key consideration the contract is there to do a different thing it's to, to, to to provide protection and all those sorts of things I'm not going to tell you how to do your job so you can tell me what it is really but that's we it's interesting to say is you know is it possible and all the data says it is that the way we set up contracts actually plays a key role in how people behave in those contracts and do we create weaknesses in the the system of a construction project that can allow failures not only in terms of construction but also in time and and, and cost and overruns and all that sort of stuff
0: yeah it's a fascinating issue and one which i hope we can explore in in further discussions in these podcasts and and elsewhere but certainly Sean in in your own work and your own writings you've shown us a lot of things that have gone wrong for all sorts of reasons and as you say they're rarely things that are dealt with directly within the construction contract I, I can say as somebody who has been a lawyer for a fair bit of time and also somebody who's taught a lot of law students our basic conceit, I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way, but our basic conceit as lawyers is that you can have something called a contract, that it will be legally binding, that is it will be enforced by a judge or an arbitrator, and that will mean that that is the way in which the parties have signed up to behave, is the way that they will behave.
1: Yeah, mm. and that perhaps is the fundamental disconnect between the contract and, 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 and human nature. I mean how many times have we sat in presentations by uh, delay experts and uh, the first thing they say is this job is a mess there was there was almost no records and we hear that again and again and again and again and the really good delay analysts tell us if you want to protect yourself you keep really good records it's just what you do but the problem is that's boring and whenever we humans deal with something that's boring we just we just don't want to do it and there's there's a i can't remember what it's called but there's a name for this we as humans can't envisage the worst case scenario. We really can't imagine the job going totally over budget. We really can't imagine something falling down. But we can imagine the boredom of having to fill in this diary right now or take those photographs or fill in those forms or take the time to file them properly.
0: And and not just boredom. Exactly. It is a very boring thing to do, but also it can be quite a threatening thing to do. Yes. Um, Particularly when you are on site and you're there and, and you're really trying to be a good person on site uh, and keep keep things running along. And, and for, I think for most people to suddenly be even contemplating that you might be acting like a lawyer or thinking that you might end up before a lawyer or a judge is not a very good way to run a project. It's it's not a very happy way to have a relationship to think that you might no. end up in a divorce. So any of those types of That's a of good behaviors. analogy, actually. Well, yeah, but uh, I think all of those sorts of behaviours are just necessary. Why? Because just as there are the laws, as we discussed earlier, just as there are the laws of physics and the laws of supply and demand, there are the laws as well. And what we do know is that it's inevitable that if something goes wrong and money is lost or, or heaven forfend, uh, a life or property is lost as well, then you will end up in court. Yeah. Mm. So I, I, guess, I guess the main thing... Uh, that we'd always be advising as lawyers is regard the law as inevitable and therefore uh, to make sure that you do keep those records even though it's boring and and potentially (laughs) threatening as well.
2: Sean, I think it goes back to what you are talking about with the people side as a contractor, you don't want to hand over a notice because you think you're about to fight with the principal. But from a principal's perspective, it's much better that you deal with that bit of paper at the time and you're open to having that discussion around what's happened, what has been the effect, rather than have a contractor be terrified to submit a claim and that at the very end, they realize how much money they've lost. And then you get into the position of a dispute. Mm -hmm. The other thing I wanted to just mention as well is that there's been a lot of development in the technology area of Dispute of um, claims and um, collecting evidence so people have started to develop apps whereby you can take a photo and then it'll issue notices and whatnot yeah, yeah. but one of the interesting things that some people have said to me is that when these um, apps started to get quite developed principals then started banning phones on site <laughs> So, you had to put your phone. Yeah.
1: And why was it to stop that record collection? Well, <laughs> thinking.
2: I don't know. <laughs> it's unfortunate that you've got these people that are being innovative and trying to solve the problems, and then we're still not seeing this technology become advanced and widely used.